If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Acts. Let's go to chapter 17. We want to pick up our study in verse 22 and bring it to the conclusion up to verse 34. This morning we want to look at this topic, Paul's sermon on the unknown God. Paul is in this area of Athens now. He's already preached uh, at the marketplace. Prior to that, he was in the synagogue. Paul would always take the gospel wherever they would listen. When he comes to Athens, it's not an easy task. The philosophers at the time were there, the intelligent ones. Now, Paul would minister to the Jews and he would open up the gospel. Paul would minister to the Greeks, he would open up the gospel. But now Paul is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Because he's talking and he's dealing with philosophers. People that were somebody at that time. And a lot of that type of culture uh, still reflects today in a lot of our universities. And so philosophy, Paul had to deal with it. Now Paul is a very intelligent man himself. He was considered a professor of the word of God. He was considered a doctor of the law. And so a lot of critics would say Paul didn't go after them like others. Paul becomes all things to all men. Paul held back where he had to hold back. But then he gave the gospel, and you're going to see that this morning. Paul the Apostle has arrived in Greece. We know that. He has been spending time, as I mentioned, with the philosophers in Athens, the seat of philosophy at this time, even today, and many universities use this type of philosophy. There were two main groups at this time that heard Paul out. Uh, look at Acts chapter 17, look at verse 18. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, after they were hearing the gospel message, what does this babbler have to say? Now this word that they're using, a babbler, was a slang word that was used at this time. They knew exactly what they were saying. But the word babbler speaks of a bird that would gather seed here, and then in his droppings give seed over here, then he'd pick up more seed, and again in his droppings he would take seed over here. And so they're saying of Paul, you just gathered some Christian stuff from here to there to there, and then you just drop it everywhere. Who is this babbler that has come uh, in our midst? The philosophies of man were great at this time. And again, in universities, they, they use it very, very much. But yet Paul is not going to hold back. I see him bring forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's in this area, which we call the uh, Areopagus. And um, we understand it. If, if you click on Google and you look into Mars Hill, this is a very important time. There are still ruins there today. This area of Mars Hills was about 400 feet higher than most of the structures there in Athens. It was a hewn out of stone. And this is where the judges and the counselors and the laws were there. Paul has an audience there. We're going to continue to see Paul as he ministers to uh, various magistrates. God told him that he would do that. Back in the, uh, the, God, the book of Acts chapter 9. He will stand before kings and he will stand before magistrates in my name. Paul doesn't hold back. But Paul also uses wisdom. Lord, what do you want me to do here? And so as he's speaking to the intelligentsia at the time, he's using wisdom. Now, oftentimes in my prayer, I say, Lord, bring forth your word because it's not going to come back void. God's word, even though you reject it, I reject it. Before I came to Christ, I rejected God's word almost three and a half years. Now, basically, I started reading the scriptures around 1976, but it wasn't until 1979 that the spirit of the Lord just pricked my heart, broke me, broke my wife. We both got saved on the same day. Our place is to give out the word of God. Our place is to plant the seeds. Now, somebody will come and water that seed. Somebody over here will come and water that seed. Somebody will come and cultivate that seed. 
But then maybe they eventually go to a Billy Graham crusade, now a Franklin Graham crusade, or a Luis Palau crusade, or as we just had recently in Texas, there was so many people that were there to hear Greg Laurie. And then we know when, when the altar call is given, it's just crazy. And hundreds upon hundreds will get saved. Well, a lot of those were already prepared by the power of God's Holy Spirit. That's your job. That's your ministry. As you share with mom and dad, as you share uh, with your brothers and sisters, as you share with your, your cousins and such. I mean, we have a huge family back home. And I mean, it was like a network. And we saw domino effects in our, in our, in our household. So many that have come to Christ and still coming to Christ. Paul brings forth the message. Now, I want to take you to a passage in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. I often say, Lord, that your word would not come back void. I say it in my prayer. And I tell you, it's there. Even back in the day, I remember mocking God's word. I would listen to the radio preacher. I would listen to the television preacher. And I would mock them. I'd be drinking and, and you know, driving around. And, yeah, look at this guy. Yeah, Jesus is going to save me. I've already done everything. I relied upon my water baptism so much. And then I would boast, man, because Mary and I got married in Las Vegas, and my family was strong in this area. You got to get married through the church. So two weeks later, we got married in the church. I even did that, Lord. So what do you want from me? What is this? You must be born again. And yet the seeds were there. The seeds were planted. And then one day, you have to respond. One day, we have a choice. You either accept Christ or you reject Christ. And one day when we get to heaven, uh, on the judgment day, the books will be open. Is your name written in the book of life? So I want you to see Isaiah uh, 55. Look at verse 10. For as the rain comes down. Now, let me set this up first. In Isaiah chapter 55, it's about salvation. And, and the gospel's going out. But there are those that are rejecting. It's about grace. It's about salvation. The message comes forth. Look at verse 11. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Notice the, the terms of farming. And then he turns it to the word of God. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth and shall not return to me void. The word is empty. But it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the things from which I sent. When God's word comes forward, you can reject it all you want. But when you come to here, last Sunday we had both services packed out. Because people come for Easter. People come for Resurrection Sunday. People come, uh, you know, for the Good Friday service. People come for, for Christmas. People come, uh, you know, we have the candlelight service. But a lot of those we won't see till the next celebration uh, of either Easter or Christmas. But whatever they hear, God's word will not come back void. You see, there's a passage in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is dealing with the church at Ephesus. Put on the full armor of God because the trials are going to come. And he speaks about the armor of a Roman soldier when he gets to Ephesians 6, 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Little did I know that when I was hearing the gospel and rejecting the gospel, I was falling upon the sword. And as I began to read, as you begin to read, as you begin to hear the gospel, you're falling on the sword. It's good to witness to somebody. It's good to tell them about Christ. But if you can't, get them to read. My friend challenged me over and over and over. Bob, read the word of God. Even when he asked me, you have a Bible at home? And I go, yes, I lied right through my teeth. Because I did not have a Bible. And Mary went and got me a Bible at one of the stores and it was a paperback. And listen to this. It was a living translation. 
I don't know what would have happened to me if I would have gotten the King James. Those begats would have killed me. But the Living Translation can speak to your heart. And it did. It took three years. And so Paul is bringing the Word of God to the Athenians. These were a very, very, listen, he's going to say it, a very religious group. But they were into the philosophies of man. That's why they call Paul a babbler. Uh, look at verse 22 now, Acts chapter 17. Paul uh, addresses there at Mars Hill, I entitled the teaching, Paul's sermon on the unknown God. They were into pantheism. They worshiped many gods. And Paul found this inscription. He says, this is who I want to speak to. And he turns it around. And he deals with Jesus of Nazareth. Now, at this time, everybody heard about the crucifixion. Everybody heard uh, of the 40-day post-resurrection. Everybody heard about the miracle signs and wonders. You see, word goes quickly. And even if you didn't believe it, the word was out there. So in verse 22, Paul begins now. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and, and said, now this is Mars Hill. And he said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. Now, in some of your translations, it says very superstitious. But the word religious is better uh, translated in the early manuscripts. I see that you're, the word perceive, spectators of being very superstitious or being very religious. Very religious is a better translation. Now, religion is man-made. On the other hand, a relationship is what God desires. A relationship is what God desires between God and man. How does he develop that relationship? He sent his son. To become the mercy seat. To become the propitiation for my sin, for your sin. And through Christ we come to saving grace. Jesus says, my father and I are one. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the father. Nobody gets to Abba without going through the cross. And trust me, so many people want to go around the cross, uh, this side, that side, over the cross, under the cross, but they don't want to go through the cross. I've done it for years. I went through my religious aspect. I, I hung on so long to my water baptism. I have to go to heaven. I'm water baptized. And those of you that recall in my Catholic upbringing, I wore a scapular. I wore it to death. That thing was curled. But as long as I wore that, I was told that if I died in my sin, I would at least go to purgatory. Lo and behold, I found out there was no purgatory. Look at verse 23. For as I was passing through, Paul's talking to the, uh, the elect, uh, the intelligentsia. As I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription, and it's capitalized. This is what Paul found. To the unknown God. I mean, pantheism, they worshipped everything. Everything and anything. And they were very good at it. You're going to see in the teaching, they were into the temples. The temple was everything. It's just a building. This is just a building. And we're going to share this morning. Uh, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Notice that he says, to the unknown God, therefore, the one... He says, whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim him to you. Him I proclaim to you. Jesus of Nazareth. That's who Paul's speaking of. Now they're going to get that eventually. Paul knew of all their various gods in the Greek culture. Then he sees this, this inscription uh, to the unknown God. In all the gods you worship, uh, let me now introduce you uh, to the one Paul is saying. Who your worship without knowing. Paul's using this perfectly. Paul is emphasizing to them, and maybe they don't know it yet, but he's emphasizing Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Not this unknown God. He is a known God. Now, you have to understand the culture. Uh, they worshiped the Roman God, Venus, which uh, in the Greek was called Aphrodite. 
It was the sexual God. And this unknown God's interesting. Because there was an altar that was raised for one who delivered them from a time of pestilence in Athens years prior who had no name. Paul uses this unknown God to introduce them to the one which is Christ. And again, the seed is falling upon the hearts. Look at verse 24. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell, listen to what he says, in temples made with hands. Paul takes them back. Listen to this. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God, Elohim. He's talking about the Trinity. The word to create. Listen to this. The word is to make something. Bara. In the Hebrew, bara is to make something out of nothing. You see, you see this beautiful pulpit up here. It was designed and made for me. Uh, for one of the guys here. He's a craftsman. And he put it together. And I love it. It's for me. It's my height. And it's for me to grab and everything. But he sat down and he drew some plans. He sat down and he, he needed the material. Everything that you do, I do in a building, we need material. But God said, light be and it was. Stars be and it was. Sun, moon, and, and just going planets. And it was. So he's taking them back to creation. Now, did they believe in creation? We don't know. But they were into the temples. They were into the temples made by hand. Now, I want you to mark these scriptures down. We're going to read it. Paul says something very interesting about the temple. And he takes it out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Don't you know that you are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Radical statement. If anyone defiles that temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. I like that. Which temple you are. And then Paul brings it back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says. Who is in you. You're not your own. You're not your own. How many times we hear it's my body? No, it's not. In a sense, it's your body. But if you're a Christian, you've given your body to the Lord. And be careful what you put into that body. You see, we have this concept. I'm coming to church. I'm coming to the building, Calvary Chapel. And I want to come and worship God. Yes. And we have our worship and praise. And you know, now we bring forth the teaching. But you think when you leave here in, a, in another hour and change or whatever it might be, and you walk out those doors, you're done? God goes with you. He's with you at all times. This is why I have to be concerned of what I do, where I go, what I say outside of these walls. And it's so easy. Praise the Lord, brother. God bless you. Hallelujah. We all know Christianese, right? God bless you, sister, hallelujah, and you give the bigger. And then you get outside and you go to Walmart, be careful, because they're going to cut you off, and then all of a sudden, some choice words might come out, and you just left church. Paul says, no, you're not, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Athenians at this time, the temple was everything. The temple of Aphrodite was everything. And they would have had, and Paul's going to deal with that when we get to the Corinthian letters, they also had uh, their temples. And the, the priestesses that were in there were actual prostitutes. And so it was all about sexuality. That's exactly what it was about at this time. The sexual pleasures and, and the sexual pleasures that are still uh, even today. And he goes on with the concept. Look, at, he's talking to the intellectuals. He says in verse 25, nor is he capitalization worship with men's hands as though he needs anything since he gives to all. Listen, life, breath, and all things. Everything I have 
everything you have. In James chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. So many times we want to take the credit. But everything I have, everything you have, God gave it to me. Here in verse 25, our God does not need anything humanly made to provide worship. I like this. God does not need idols of himself. God does not need a temple where we come in. And yet God's given us a building. Uh, formerly this, some of you know, some of you don't know, uh, this was a pool hall. Years ago, this was a pool hall. Uh, these walls were not erected. We put them up. The other side of the wall, there's a little hallway, then there's more rooms in there. And if you go in there, we still have some, you know, uh, electricity lines that go down the, the, the side of the wall. And that's where pinball machines, some of you don't even know what a pinball machine is. And that's, that's what was in there. Pastor Jay was a Christian at the time. He came from North Fork, Virginia, and he came back here to be with his family. And he said, I'm going to go shoot some pool and see if I can witness to some of the guys. When he walks in, at that time that he came, the doors were open, but the Calvary Chapel worship team was here. And they were worshiping. And Jay comes in looking for a pool table and the pinball machines. He goes, hey, uh, wasn't this a pool hall? He says, well, I don't know, but it's a church now. It's Calvary Chapel. And Jay was looking to work in prison ministry. He goes, Pastor Bob is looking for prison ministry help. That's how we got acquainted. We've been together ever since. But the temple is you. The temple is not the building. He gave life to all creatures, man and animal. We have the church buildings. Uh, and we worship in our church building. But the whole purpose is to get you out of the elements from the outside. When it rains, when it snows, when the wind blows, it's good to be inside here. As the summer months are coming here in the southwest, you know it gets hot. Well, we turn up the AC. But yet, what if the building burned down? God forbid, right? But what if an earthquake came? What if it's leveled? And then we clear everything and we just got a piece of land. In all reality, we put some chairs out there, and get the other pulpit that's trans transferred over, we just we can have church. Church is where you're at because Christ dwells in you. I think it's very important. And so for the Athenians to have the edifice of the building, I think we've all been to beautiful churches. We, we have a beautiful church back home, Calvary Chapel Golden Springs. I mean, that's awesome. It's beautiful. Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa is huge. But there's a lot of Calvary Chapels like us that started out with pool halls. There's one Calvary Chapel they don't try to let the congregation know, but it formerly was a funeral home. And they have a, a few orange packing houses. Back in Northern California, there's a, a warehouse that's called Calvary Chapel Warehouse because they, they took some warehousing a big building, and they made a church out of it. You see, it's people put so much emphasis on the building. That's what they were doing in, in Athens. If you've ever had the opportunity, Mary and I grew up in Southern California, so we, we knew all about the Crystal Cathedral in Garden Grove, California. And so for years I knew about it, but we never saw it. And so one time we had some time, we're in the Garden Grove area, and we saw it in the distance. I go, hey. That's the Crystal Cathedral. Let's go see it. So we park. And if you've ever been there, it's glass. And so we park, and then we come up, and there's a beautiful grass entrance. And it was a beautiful walkway. Then all of a sudden, this Christian music's coming from the grass. Praise the Lord. You know, and I'm going, whoa, what's going on? The Bermuda's singing to me. When I walked into that edifice, all, it, it's glass. All I could think of was Windex. Windex. It's immaculate. It's beautiful. And today, they lost everything. It's not about the building. 
It's about the body of Christ. I want you to write this down in John chapter 4, in verse 24, Jesus is at uh, the woman at the well at Samaria, and he deals with her. He's talking to her. He goes out of his way to see her, as Jesus went out of his way to see you, to meet you. And she says, I know we worship in this mountain, and you, the Jews, worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus responds to her. In John chapter 4, verse 24, God is spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This is church today, right now. When you go home, it's still church. When you go to work tomorrow, it's still church. You don't take off your Christian hat and put on your secular hat. You're not something here and then something different outside the walls of this church. You're Christian 24-7. Come on. Well, that took care of that. I went to Easter service. I'll see them again at Christmas time. I tell you, I did that. I know. I know. But the seed is being planted. That's what Paul's doing here. Look at verse 26 now. And he has made. He's still giving testimony of God. And he says, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined, listen, their pre-appointed time and the boundaries of their dwelling. Paul is still just dwelling on creation and, and the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. Paul says, we are all descendants from Adam. Then you say, well, wait a minute, what happened to the flood? Well, then uh, the descendants continued through Noah. Then there is one God, listen, who created us and all we are obligated to him. Jew, Gentile, Scythian, it doesn't matter. Basically, it's Jew and Gentile. We know the scripture says salvation to the Jew first. But you realize that everything is ordained that happens in my life, that happens in your life. I want to turn to a passage and I'm going to read it. I'm going to paraphrase it because it takes time to go through it. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 through 8, one of my favorite passages that I like to use at a memorial service. And I like to minister and I like to just break down what the individual went through. Because we all go through this step. We're all going to stand before God one day. But we all go through these various steps. And pay attention because you're going to identify with it. In the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, we know that Solomon is writing. I believe that the book of Ecclesiastes could have been Solomon's goodbye letter. There are those that believe he was thinking of suicide. He had everything. Listen, yet he had nothing. He was considered the wisest man in the world. And listen, guys, he wasn't that wise when you read about Solomon, he had 700 wives, 300 concubines. I'm just going to say a joke. No wonder he wants to commit suicide. It's not meant to be. But listen to what he writes. When you get to the beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, saith the preacher. Emptiness of emptiness, saith the Man, unless you know Christ, it's all empty. Unless you know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's all empty. He sent his son to be the propitiation for my sins. Let's go through this real quick. Uh, he begins here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. He says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Now, I'm going to go real quick now. A, a time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant, a time to pluck. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down, a time to build back up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, a time to dance. A time to cast stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to get and a time to loose. A time to, to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to be silent, a time to speak. And I like these last two. A time to love and a time to hate. 
a time to love and a time to hate. And then he concludes it, a time of war and a time of peace. All of this is part of our lives. Now, I hope and pray that the rapture of the church comes and we don't have to face death, but there's an appointed time for each one to die. And so Paul is bringing forth in clarity to the Athenians. Now, we're going to see at the end, some are listening, but not all are listening. Look at verse 27 now. He says, so that they should seek the Lord. This is the whole purpose of God's creation, the whole purpose of God, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might, it's a bad translation here, grope for him or to seek him or to feel him and to find him, though he is not far from each one of us. I love that. God is not so distant that we can't reach him. Uh, the purpose that we are created, listen, to seek after God, not to just grope or to feel for him or to hope for God. We search not aimlessly like we are in darkness and yet we're born in Adamic sin. But we can actually find God. We're born with Adamic sin. And that sin has to be taken care of. And so I come to the cross, you come to the cross. But God shows us, so nobody ever shares the gospel with you. Nobody witnesses to you. You've never picked up a Bible. You've never turned on a radio station, TV station. Nobody, which is basically impossible. But let's say you're out in the country, out in the bushlands, out in the, you know, Africa. And you say, well, nobody's witnessed. We've tried to witness to everybody, right? But the Bible says that even God's creation, it ministers to you. And I want to read something to you. In Psalm 19, look at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament uh, uh, proclaims his handiwork. Firmament is the skies. In verse 2, day after day, they, they pour forth speech. Listen to this. Night after night, they display knowledge. Creation speaks to us. Creation speaks to us. I, I love our New Mexico skies. This morning was just gorgeous. And we get to see the balloons and such. And you look at the Oregon Mountains. You look at the Robledo Mountains. And, uh, you know, if you're in Albuquerque, you get to see the Sandias. And you go to the Sacramento Mountains. I mean, we have the beauty. You go to California, you see the high Sierras. It just blows your mind. The creation of God. Let me say, uh, Mary and I stood right there at, at the, <laughs> I forgot the name. No, no. Well, we went to the Grand Canyon too. Niagara Falls. See what happens when you get old? Be careful, Patrick. Niagara Falls. Oh, my gosh. You can't believe in God something's wrong with you. The mist itself just Blows your mind. And they take those little boats and they say, we, we need to go in there. I go, I don't think so. <laughs> this is good enough. Where we're at, we're getting showered. And we've been there. Mary and I have been there in November. Whoa. It's cold. It is cold. How can you say there's no creator? How can you stand looking at the Grand Canyon and say there's no creator? Some of you have been to the Great Lakes. Some of you have been to, you know, we've been to the St. Lawrence River, and it's just amazing. These big ships, and you just go, wow. God's handiwork. Then you see the stars, the moon. There's times here in our community when the moon is like a giant orange ball. And you feel like you can just grab it. As we're going up our street, Mary, let's just keep driving. It's just like it's the next block over, right? Well, remember when we were kids? Oh, man, I just want a piece of cheese. God's creation. It speaks to us. You can't deny it. And so the Athenians were getting a mouthful when you think of it, and they were relying upon God, and they were getting all of it. Trust me. And so we must seek the Lord. I want to take it further. In Romans chapter 1, Paul brings it back. Uh, and he's talking to the Romans. 
In verse 20, he begins here, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky uh, through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities. Notice his eternal power and his divine nature so that they have no excuse. I like that. For not knowing God. Then he continues, yes, they knew of God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up, listen, foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused or their minds became seared. The Greeks were into pantheism. Everything's a God. We see some of that effects today. People think the, the mountains are God. People think, you know, the desert is God. No, no, those are his creation. People hug trees. If you think God is a cactus, go ahead and hug it. Let's see what happens. Where do they get these thoughts, man? And naturally, I'm talking about evolution as they think we evolved. Be careful. Be careful. It is a sad commentary. Listen, if you think you came from a slug and eventually popped out some arms and eventually the process of being a monkey, and you've seen some of those t-shirts, you know, it goes and it, finally then you see man upright. I want to know why when I go to the zoo, I still see monkeys. What's going on? What's, what's up with that? Now, if you think your ancestors are monkeys, praise the Lord. I've got some pretty bad family members, but they're not monkeys. Verse 28, Paul's not finished with it. Now, these are intellectuals that are buying into this. He says, for in him we live and we move and have our being, as also some of your own poets. Now, I like this. Paul takes it to them. Some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. You see, in God we live. In God we exist. Then Paul uses their poetry. Some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. The Greeks believed God dwelt in temples as we shared earlier. Paul quotes a famous poet by the name, if I'm saying it right, Epimendes. I kind of give it the Hispanic slang in there. Uh, they knew these, this, these famous words from him. If you look it up, you can find it. Paul is saying all men are, are God's offspring in the sense that they are his creation and depend on him for life. Even their own poets said it. We did not evolve, again, from a slug. We did not eventually, you know, become a monkey. But people buy into it. Intellectual people. They teach it at the universities. Look at verse 29 now. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, so Paul's using it, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone. Something shaped by art and man's devising. He's talking about idol worship. And I want you to turn to Psalm 115. And I'm going to look at verses 3 to 8. And then uh, as your footnote, Paul or the psalmist says the same thing in Psalm 135 verses 15 uh, through 18. Excuse me. But... Look at Psalm 115, verse 3. But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have a mouth, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they can't smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they don't walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Verse 8. Those who make them. Listen to what he says. Are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. The psalmist is writing to the children of Israel. The children of Israel knew idol worship. When we go to Israel. They take us to an area called 
Tel Dan. And there, the Danites, which is part of the tribes of Israel, there is this whole area that's been excavated. They had the worship of idols there. The nation of Israel, it's incredible. They learned it first in Egypt, and, and then they uh, followed in to the Babylonians. Basically, Israel worshipped three gods, and it was in variations, okay? Number one, Baal worship, or what we call Baal worship. It's a, the worship of intellect, philosophy, and this is exactly what Paul is speaking about. Secondly, the god of mammon, which is financial gain or money, or power. And thirdly, the god Molech, the god of pleasure, the god of sexuality. And in Molech worship, a little iron god that they heated underneath, the children of Israel would put their children there. Offer them, offer them, offer them. So it's nothing new. Now, the Athenians did the same. They worship pantheism, various gods. Incredible. Is there idol worship today? Yes. Now, years ago, 37 plus years ago, when Mary and I came to Saving Grace, we cleaned house. We got rid of all the idols. We got rid of all the statues. We got rid of all the pictures and such. And the, the crosses that we had, if they had Jesus on there, we got rid of that because Jesus is not on the cross anymore. But as I came to know, and things were shared with me, and you might do just what Mary and I did, clean house, but an idol, and we've shared it many times, is anything that takes the place of God. Anything that takes the place of God. There was a time where I played baseball almost every night of the week, and if I wasn't playing baseball, the other nights I was bowling. And then on the weekends, fishing. I mean... My life was consumed with that. And Mary would go with me to the ball games, and finally she got tired. And then finally we took up bowling so we could do something together, and so we bowled. We were always doing so. I was young, and I was a lot of energy, and didn't get tired. Now, forget it. Throw the ball once, and I'm going to sleep. Now, I still love baseball, but I like to watch it. That's about it. Give me, some, give me a Coke and peanuts, and I'm in heaven. But an idol is anything that takes the place of God. Be very careful. And so look at verse 30 now. Truly, these times of ignorance God of God are overlooked. I think we all come to that place. But now commands all men everywhere to repent. Repentance, repentance. So Paul has them in his grip. He's ministering to them. Uh, verse 30 culminates everything that he's done. And, and watch it. There's five points here. Paul progresses from knowing who God is, our creator, that's number one, to who we are, that's number two, his offspring, uh, in our responsibility, that's number three, before him, to understand him and to worship him in spirit and in truth, and to our accountability, that's number four, if we Dishonor him, number five, judgment. Paul was not preaching a soft gospel, as some critics said. But he boldly confirmed, he boldly confronted, concerning the wrong ideas of the Athenians they had about God, and confronted them with the reality of a coming judgment. What does God want from us? The same thing he's wanted from the very beginning. Worship him. But because we're born with Adamic sin, we have to come to repentance. Repentance is threefold. There has to be a change of mind. There has to be a change of heart. There has to be a change of direction. When I was in the world, I was sinning, going straight, a lot of drinking, a lot of selling drugs. So maybe you never did that. But whatever sin we're in, there has to be a 180 degree turn and go the other way and follow Christ. And so Paul is ministering to the Athenians. Some are going to hear it, but not all. Look at verse 31. Because he has appointed a day, Paul telling them, 
on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He's speaking about Christ. He has given assurance of this to all, and he raised him from the dead. He's speaking about Christ. He's got them. And they would know. He, Jesus Christ, has set a day when all mankind will be judged and everything set right. Plus, he has already appointed or been appointed the judge. The confirming of mankind before everyone. Confirmation before man. Listen, the raising of Jesus from the dead. Word traveled fast. Over 500 witnessed the risen Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You cannot spread news like that. Pastor Bob, how do you know you weren't there? I know. Because he brings changed life. He changed me. I know some of you. He changed you. I've seen the drug addict change. I've seen the homosexual change. The lesbian change. I've seen the thief change. I've seen the one that curses in James chapter 3, bridle the tongue. God gets a hold of him. If you're sincere with God, he's going to transform you. He's going to change you. A metamorphosis is going to take place. A flip in your life. Well, pastor, I don't like that word born again. I don't care. There has to be a changed life. Nicodemus said, what must I do to get to heaven? Nicodemus, you're a religious man. You should know these things. But then he says, you must be born again. Not once, but twice. Verse 3 and then verse 7, John chapter 3. You see, Paul's bringing it to the conclusion here. You're all going to stand. There's an appointed day. And I want you to write this down. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, and I believe the writer of Hebrews is Paul the apostle, there is an appointed day for man to die. And then it says, once takes care of reincarnation. There is an appointed day for man to die once, then the judgment. Now, I pray that the rapture of the church comes, but if not, we're all going to stand before our maker one day. The books will be open. The Bible says, is your name written in the book of life? Is your name written in the book of life? Well, I was water baptized. Well, I, I made my Holy Communion. I was confirmed. I got married in the church. Is your name written in the book of life? I belong to Calvary Chapel. I belong to the Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran. My name's on the ledger. Is your name written in the book of life? And Paul's hitting them right between the eyes. Now watch their response. Verse 32. And when they had, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead. Again, the stories come. Uh, some mocked him, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. Not all, but some mocked him. The Greek is interesting here. They threw out the lip to him. They made a, a, a gesture that they would make. We've seen various gestures and stuff, you know, that you make. In, in the Hispanic culture, ah, she's making pucheros, you know. That's, I think, what they were saying right here. They threw out the lip, and then they said, we will hear, and I'm going back to what started in the beginning, we will hear this seed picker another time. We will, you know, hear this babbler another day. Not everybody believed it. The same as today. Not everybody believes it, but uh, the gospel's out there. Creation is out there. And then he finishes it off. Paul is done there at Athens. He didn't stay a long time. He says, so Paul departed from among them. Time to move on. We're going to find Paul at Corinth. But then there's always a remnant of God's people. In verse 34, however, and I like that, some men joined him and they believed. They believed. Among them, Diosthenes, the Arapagate. In other words, he belonged to the consul. And then a woman named Damaris. And others that are not named here. They came to saving grace. They came to saving grace. No matter where Paul went, there's always a remnant of God's people. As a preacher, as a pastor, numbers are always driving us crazy. I don't like empty chairs. 
Last week we were packed, both services. I knew this would happen. It happens every year. Now, when a tragedy will come forth, it'll get packed again. But that's just our nature. We don't want to hear it until God chops off the legs from under us, until God takes us through that trial that I'm crying out to him. They heard the gospel message. You see, it's not about the numbers. It's about you planting a seed. That's what Paul did. It's about you planting the seed, then somebody over here waters it, somebody else waters it, somebody cultivates it, and then maybe somebody like Greg Laurie, you take them to the, uh, the show and, and it's on screen or you're in person. If you want to receive Christ, come forward. And hundreds come forward. And, and Greg Laurie will tell you, I didn't save them. I just gave the gospel message. Seeds are planted. Seeds are planted. It took three and a half years. The gospel was being preached. And when it hit, it hit. When Mary and I both went up to Saving Grace, I didn't even know she went up. She didn't know I went up. She went out one aisle. I went out the other aisle. It's not about you and your spouse going up together. It's not about you and your child going up together. It's about the Holy Spirit. Breaking you to the point where you go, I surrender. I repent. Change a mind, change a heart, change a direction. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. We're going to continue in, in the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 18 next week. Father, what a privilege, what an honor, what a joy. What an exciting time in the book of Acts. Here's Paul with intelligentsia at this time. The philosophers. The movers and the shakers there uh, in Athens. And they said of Paul, he's a babbler. He's a seed picker. And yet, we see even one person there mentioned from Mars Hill. Your word, as we shared earlier in Isaiah, will not return void. And so this morning, Lord, if there's somebody here that's never made a commitment to Christ, today is the day of their salvation. If there's somebody that's a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, they need to come back to the cross. They need to come back to their first love, which is Christ. Lord, only you, through the power, through the conviction of your Holy Spirit, can bring them back. And so, Lord, we ask you to speak to their hearts, prick their hearts. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Lord, we pray for the offerings this morning. As you give given to us, we give back a portion. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, the ushers are going to